Hi everyone, it's Lisa B, and this is The Crime Cat. On this episode, I'm actually doing what I did in September. This is your November true crime update, true crime roundup, where I have selected certain stories just to give a an overview, a little discussion on different things that have been going on in the news. So it's unfortunately, there's always so many stories. It's impossible to cover everything, but these are just a few of the things that have caught my eye that I want to discuss on this particular month's roundup. So without further delay, let's get into it. So the first thing I'm going to talk about is what I did talk about a couple of months ago. It's about Alex Murda. He's back again in the news. I actually don't see him going away for quite some time. I actually watched a Dateline NBC last week on the case, uh, his arrest, etc., with never-before-seen footage from that particular time period. It was really, really good. He was being uh, interviewed on the scene inside of a detective's police car, or a police truck, actually, which was serving as a mobile interrogation unit, which it was outfitted with all sorts of cameras and recording equipment. And they also interviewed his brother and his surviving son. It was an insider, peel back the curtain, look at things going on from, again, the night of the arrest and other just things that you haven't seen before regarding the initial murder investigation. It was really, really interesting. I would highly recommend watching it on NBC. They do also record everything in podcast format, but certain things are just better to watch. And this is one of those episodes where it was just really, really interesting. Anyways, on November the 20th, he, Alex, pleaded guilty to stealing millions of dollars from his clients, which lasted over a decade. I touched on this already. That was a total of 22 counts, including money laundering, breach of trust, and financial fraud. And he pleaded guilty in exchange for a 27-year sentence. He stated, quote, I agree that I wrongly took all of that money and did all of those crimes. I disagree with some of the narrative. I am guilty, and I believe I would be found guilty. I'm glad to finally be given the opportunity to plead guilty. I am happy to be pleading guilty to these charges for a number of reasons, end quote. His confession came after two months. Again, I had discussed this in September's true crime update uh, after he did plead guilty to almost two dozen counts of financial wrongdoing. He will be sentenced on November the 28th, which is actually today. So really curious to see. Hopefully there's no delays with that. I'm really curious to see what is going to happen there. And as of so far, 
from what I've been researching, there is no way for any of this money to be recovered and given back to the victims, which is allegedly $8.8 million. Also, what's great about today is his victims will be allowed at the sentencing and they will be allowed to give victim impact statements. One of those families will be the Satterfield family. And if you watched any of this insane case unfold, you'll know that Gloria Satterfield was a housekeeper and a nanny of the Murdaughs for more than two decades. She was 57 years old when she died from injuries sustained in a trip and fall accident at the Murdaugh home, which was called Moselle. Her two adult sons were supposed to receive life insurance money, but instead, Murdaugh enlisted another lawyer to help the sons' claims. Murdaugh directed this lawyer to draft checks totaling almost $3.5 million to a bank account that he in turn used for his own personal needs, while both those sons received zero dollars. The family has been speaking with the media, and they are really looking forward to finally confronting Murdaugh at the sentencing today. So again, stay tuned. I don't see this case or this person going away anytime soon because there are still talks about him getting a new trial from all those things that I discussed in September with the clerk of court being inappropriate. So nothing on that yet. So we will see. I have a feeling I'll be updating this the next time I do one of these. (laughs) The next story update is just a truly wild one to me. I was so shocked by this. It's of Adam Johnson, who was an American hockey player playing for the Nottingham Panthers over in England. I'm sure most people have heard this story, but if not, this is what it is. The 29-year-old player was cut in his neck by a skate from a team member on the opposing side and died from his injury received during the game, which took place on October 28th. On Tuesday, November 14th, police in England arrested a man whose name and age were not released on suspicion of manslaughter. However, this person was released on bail. Now, the other person that was involved in this incident, who I have a strong feeling was the person whose name and age was not released. So the other person in this incident was Matt Petgrave, who played for the other team called the Sheffield Steelers. He was the only other person involved in this incident. Again, makes you wonder if this is the man. I would believe yes. I don't know why they're withholding information, but it is what it is. So video of this shows Johnson skating with the puck towards the Steelers' net when Petgrave skates towards him and collides with another Panthers player. Petgrave's left skate kicks up as he falls and the blade hits Johnson in the neck. Both men then landed on the ice, but Petgrave, he popped up, he got back up to his feet, skated away. Johnson, however, got up more slowly and then actually collapsed prior to getting off the ice. He was taken to a local area hospital where he later died of his injuries citing a fatal neck wound. Now, Matt was receiving a lot of hate, with some believing that he did this intentionally. It's really a mixed bag because at a Steelers, the Steelers' first home game since Johnson's death, a moment of silence was held. Petgrave didn't play in the game, but some fans gave him a standing ovation when his photo appeared on the scoreboard. However, the mood may be shifting, as he is coming under fire for being a dirty player throughout his career. According to Elmo Aitola, not sure if I pronounced his name right, it was an ex-coach of his, 
He said that he coached him for a very short stint and wanted to get rid of him immediately. Quote, he has no respect for himself or his opponents. He used to get into a bit of a mess. He is a very dirty player, end quote. Fans have been agreeing with this sentiment, one pulling up and posting on X, formerly Twitter, a video of Petgrave for which he performs an aggressive but late block near his own goal. This caused his opponent to do a somersault from this shoulder charge, and this person landed on their back. Thank goodness he avoided serious injury. He didn't land on his neck, didn't have any issues with his spinal cord, but, you know, it was very aggressive, the move. Now, hockey is an aggressive sport, but people are saying that Matt Petgrave is, uh, he's just a dirty player, and he is, he goes beyond that. Johnson, who was the one tragically, who tragically passed away, he was a Minnesota native who played with the Pittsburgh Penguins in the NHL 13 games for the 2018 to 2019 and 2019 to 2020 seasons. The English Ice Hockey Association reacted to this tragedy and is going to require all players in England to wear neck guards from the start of 2024, so in a month or so. The U.S. is also considering the requirement of neck guards, so stay tuned on that. I was I was reading that there's a bunch of different types of neck guards and different things that players, if this is going to be passed in the United States, will kind of maybe get to pick and choose out of a few options what to wear. So we'll have to see what happens there. But really, such a tragedy. He's so young, and it's really horrible. I mean, I don't know how you would prove. I don't know what else is going to happen with this case. Clearly, uh, this person was, who I'm assuming to be Petgrave, was released on bail. But I don't know how you really prove that this happened. I mean, I would think that falling in that quick motion to be able to bring your skate up and cut somebody in the neck would take some serious precision. I know those skates are very sharp, but I don't know. It's, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one to be able to prove, so we'll see what happens. Overall, it's just a huge tragedy. I've personally never heard of something like this before, but there have been other incidents in ice hockey, apparently, but this is just truly a horrible thing. The next case that I'm going to talk about is so scary and frightening to me. So 23-year-old Jung Yu Jung, she was a young woman obsessed with true crime which is not surprising as roughly one-third of Americans tune into a true crime podcast regularly, myself included, and she decided that she was going to kill a stranger out of curiosity, this 23-year-old. She was actually just sentenced recently to life in prison. So what had happened with her? Where, what, where did she go wrong? So she had a very strong curiosity for, for, for true crime and all things surrounding it. So she decided to go out and find her victim. She found her victim after contacting mainly, it was about 54 different women on a tutoring app. This all took place in South Korea. She was arrested in June of this year after she became obsessed with murder from TV shows and books. She posed as a mother on this tutoring app looking for someone to tutor her daughter in English. She herself then played the role of this daughter, and if you see her photo, she does look like a teenager. She does not even look like she's 23 years old. She arrived at the victim's house dressed in a school uniform, really playing the role. After entering the victim's home, 
She stabbed her multiple times, and an autopsy would show that she stabbed her even after she had passed away multiple times. And then she left the body in the victim's home, went to a supermarket, and purchased some bins and bleach. She then went back to the house, dismembered the victim, including the victim's fingers, in attempts to hide her identity by essentially ridding her of her fingerprints. She then put the body in the bins, in some luggage, and took a taxi to the Nakdong River to dispose of the body parts. Now, the driver reported her, thank goodness for acting suspiciously, after observing her dump a blood-stained suitcase in a remote area by the river. She then transported some of the body parts home. Not sure if she took a separate taxi or if she was close to her house. Uh, there was not a lot of, there wasn't anything I could find about that. But regardless, this taxi driver was, thank goodness, he had the wherewithal to report this woman. And she's like most stupid criminals where her search history on her computer showed she searched how to kill and ways to get rid of a body. And then on top of that, she also checked out books from a library on how to dispose of a body. She was trying to commit the perfect crime, you know, after all of her careful research by keeping the victim's cell phone and wallet, which contained identifying documents. When she was arrested, she first told the police that she moved the victim's body after someone else had killed her. Then she changed her story that she got into an argument, then killed her, before finally admitting to the real story. The prosecution was aiming for the death penalty, but she begged for leniency and life in prison due to mental health issues and hallucinations. The judge did agree to this life in prison sentence, but he denied that mental health issues had caused this crime as it was meticulously planned out and um, said that there was no way. Everything from dismembering the body to taking removing the fingers to keeping all the identifying documents. It was all so well planned out that he was not buying that. It's just something like this is so, so scary and gives anyone that feeling that you can become a victim in this world just by going about your business, doing your own thing, and somebody has bad intentions for you. And it's just horrible and it's so scary. But as Again, I know true crime is a really hot topic and a lot of people are interested in it, as am I, but it's how far how far do you take it? Like my interest in true crime is the psychology, the stories, hearing the victim stories, what I like to think all the right reasons to be into true crime. I mean, clearly, again, a third of Americans are tuning into a podcast regularly. There are channels and networks that are 24-7 true crime. There is an audience for it, but how far is too far? I mean, being interested in the actual committing a crime, I would say, is taking it too far, and that's just scary that that can be out there. So you never know, I guess. Just crazy. And the last and final story that I'm covering is about Sean Diddy Combs. He has been accused in a third lawsuit this month of sexually assaulting women. And in this first suit, the woman is named Jane Doe. She accused Combs and singer Aaron Hall, who I've never heard of before, of assaulting her and her friend in the early 90s. The incident allegedly took place in Hall's apartment after an event at MCA Records offices. 
Now, the suit was filed one day before the expiration of the New York Adult Survivors Act, which allows adult sexual assault survivors one year to sue, regardless of when the original statute of limitations expired. So just as Jane Doe is filing the suit, the friend is not named. However, it alleges that Combs and Hall were very flirty and handsy. They offered the women drinks during the event, Then they were invited back to Hall's apartment for an after-party. After Jane Doe had more drinks back at the apartment, she was coerced into having sex with Combs. She then reported she lay there in bed, completely traumatized. She eventually started getting dressed when she alleges that Hall burst into the room and pinned her down, forcing her to also have sex with him. She then got dressed and ran out of the apartment. Her friend, she says, was also sexually assaulted by both men as well. Basically, it was sort of like each man had their turn with one of the women and then they switched and they were forced, they forced them. But it doesn't end there. A few days after, Combs went to the home where Jane Doe and the friend were staying and became irate and allegedly choked Jane Doe until she passed out. Combs was supposedly looking for her friend because he feared she would alert his current girlfriend about what had happened. In addition to Combs and Hall, the lawsuit identified MCA Music Entertainment Group and Geffen, Jeffen? I'm not sure, Jeffen Records and as defendants. There is no comment from either of those at this time. However, MCA is now defunct. Jane Doe's attorney has released a statement that she is securing her medical records and witness statements at this time. A spokesperson for Diddy stated that these claims are fabricated and filed at the last minute and that this is a money grab due to Diddy's fame and success. Hall's camp had no comment, but that's just the one incident. Another accuser has come forward, Joey Dickerson Neal. She alleged that Combs drugged her and sexually assaulted her in 1991 while she was a college student at Syracuse University. She also accused him of filming the assault and sharing it with others. Again, Combs' camp and representative stated that this is a money grab as well. Dickerson Neal stated that she decided to follow the suit after Combs' former girlfriend, actor and singer Cassie, filed a $30 million lawsuit alleging he raped, abused, and sex trafficked her One day after this suit was filed, it was settled for an undisclosed amount of money. A lawyer of Combs, however, was quick to reply that the decision to settle was in no form an admission of guilt. And Dickerson Neal's attorney actually said when Combs' people said it was a money grab, said that it often takes one victim being brave and coming forward for other abuse victims to feel comfortable and will also come forward. I mean, we've seen this a lot in the past with the Me Too movement and things like that. It takes one person to come forward and then other people start to feel comfortable, you know, strength in numbers, and they will also come forward and allege what they had experienced. So we'll see what happens with that. I haven't seen Diddy in the news in a long time, though. So, I mean, this was his time where he was super popular in the 90s. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully these women get some closure. And that is it. That is this uh, November true crime roundup for now. Again, there's always so many stories circulating in the news. I try to just pick the ones that are 
you know, the, that I feel have the most information to be covered. So I'll be, you know, staying tuned and seeing what new round of stories I'm going to cover in the next update. So thank you so much for listening, and I will see you soon with a regular true crime episode. Bye.